It's Monday the 6th of May 2019. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. I'm joined this week by Anna Sigrida Thrauinsdottir, Ruv's guru when it comes to language accuracy and accessibility, and by Boye Augustsson, broadcast journalist and television newsreader. Welcome to you both. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, it's been a relatively steady week uh, for news this week, uh, plenty to talk about. In the perennially fertile topic of aviation, for example, we've seen Iceland Air reveal some big losses for the first quarter. Um, The lengthening of the Boeing grounding that could see the airline swap to Airbus, potentially, as well as Isavia appealing the district court's decision about the final WOW airplane that it is holding at Keflavik. Uh, The investigation into the fatal shooting of an Icelander in the far north of Norway last weekend has seen several developments throughout the week. The unions of some 30,000 tradespeople across Iceland have agreed a new wage and conditions deal with employers for the next three years. Landeyjahöp Harbour has finally opened up for the Herjolvur ferry, which is great news for Vestmanejar, but it is still the wrong Herjolvur, which is docking there up to seven times a day. The cloister scandal rolls on as ever. Um, MPs there had their application rejected to see Bauro's bank statements and phone records, although she did release the um, bank statements anyway. Prime Minister Katrin Jakobsdottir was on an official visit to the UK. Refugees, asylum seekers and their supporters held a roughly 47 kilometre long protest march all the way from Ausbru to Reykjavik this weekend. And finally, Hatari have arrived in Tel Aviv, nice and early for next week's Eurovision Song Contest. So uh, where would you like to begin? I think Boy should decide. I'm sure he's in the politics field. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe um, we should start with Katrin Jakobsdottir's uh, visit to the um, United Kingdom. She started her visit in, in Scotland, mm. where she met with Nicola Sturgeon, uh, the first minister of Scotland and, uh, of course, leader of the Scottish National Party, SNP. Uh, and uh, from there on, she went to London, where she... Uh, where she met both uh, Jeremy Corbyn and Theresa May. Mm. Um, Is it unusual to start a, 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 an official visit in Scotland? I think um, I think it would have been. Yeah, yes, it, it, it might be. Um, I think it might have uh, had more to do with uh, with just logistics that it was simpler to start in Scotland. I, I don't know about the schedules of uh, of uh, <clears throat> of the three um, leaders that she met. Mm. Um, but anyway, it seems to have been a successful uh, visit. Um, it was successful in uh, regards to uh, certain kind of, uh, of, of journalism. That's to say she was guest of both uh, um, uh, BBC's Hard Talk, uh, also Christiana Amanapur of CNN uh, mm. did an interview with her. Uh, and several other interviews. Uh, some have yet to be broadcast, uh, if I understand correctly. But um, as Iceland is old, I think every nation does this. Uh, even, even even big nations like uh, like uh, like uh, the English, they 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 worry about how are they seen abroad. Uh, tiny countries like Iceland worry more than others. Mm. Um, and Katrin naturally gives a good image, doesn't she? See, when she travels. She does. She does. Uh, but her visit, uh, it wasn't covered by by the daily news stream, if I could put it that way. Uh, I saw her visit mentioned on Sky, but that was in order. Uh, that was because 
that was the only chance journalists had to shout questions at Theresa May the day after she sacked Gavin Williamson, uh, who had been defence secretary, for leaking. So when she stepped outside uh, number 10 Downing Street to greet uh, Catherine, you could he hear the journalists shout questions, and they were certainly not about Iceland-UK relations. <laughs> no, indeed. There's... I, I mean, I think you say small nations don't get the attention in the daily newspapers. There's probably only five world leaders or so that, that do get that level of attention. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a very good in exercise in, in relations between two, what are two very close countries, historically and economically. Um, is there a message, do you think, other than geography, that because Scotland and Iceland have got a very close relationship and the whole Brexit process... Uh, the Scottish First Minister has been very anti-Brexit and very pro sort of connections with other peripheral European countries, which Scotland sees itself as, like Iceland, Norway. Yeah, her predecessor uh, in particular was uh, was very keen on, uh, I mean, he uh, at one time, uh, Alex Almond I'm talking about, he at one time um, was um, sort of flirting with the idea that Scotland uh, could um, join, formally join the uh, the five uh, Nordic countries in, in the Nordic Council, mm. um, which I think is, um, uh, well... <clears throat> Maybe well, anything is possible in politics. But, uh, yeah, the Scots, uh, they, um, particularly the independent, uh, independence-minded Scots, they look towards other small countries and they point to the success of the Danish and Norwegian economies, which are countries of roughly the same population, uh, around about 5 million, as, uh, as Scotland. Mm. Ireland as well. So uh, um, they when they have to convince people that uh, Scottish independence is viable financially uh, and in any other ways, they point to the Nordic countries. So uh, I think it were, um, and there is a natural affinity. We, we, let us not forget that, um, that the modern uh, genealogical research shows that a large part of, uh, of uh, the Icelandic population actually originated in the British Isles, mm. Scotland and Ireland in particular. So uh, natural uh, connections there, even if I have a feeling that most countries in Northern Europe tend to look south. I know Denmark, they look more south than they do north, uh, and I also think that the Scots look more south towards England and, and the continent nowadays than they have uh, traditionally looked north. Mm. I suppose there's more land there. <laughs> right, let's not turn this into uh, the British show. Um, we should maybe move on. Anna, where should we yeah, well, go Well, I think uh, that uh, uh, the New Deal on uh, that the unions of the uh, made um, last week with the employers for the next three weeks by shortening, shortening the working week. I think that's really uh, an interesting thing. Mm. Uh, progress, I think. I think it's something that we will see more of uh, in the years to come. I think two things come out of that. The, the tradespeople, there's about 30,000 or so of them, they've agreed a wage deal, which is quite similar to what the big unions did mm -hmm. a month before. But like you say, they've gone further with shortening the working week. So there's two questions there. 
the other big unions, Epling, Waffert and things, they were talking about shortening the working week as well. They didn't really manage to get that through. Mm. So why did these guys get it through? And also, what does that mean, as you say, for the future and for other unions? Yeah, I hope it will. I hope it is that this is something uh, that we will see more of in the years to come. Uh, I think it's really important, especially for parents with young children, to shorten the working week. And uh, I don't know why they didn't get it, but maybe Boy knows more about that too. <laughs> uh, why the Appling and the other unions uh, didn't get that one? Maybe because they didn't want to s- uh, sacrifice anything to get that, just shortening the week, but not coffee, cutting off uh, coffee breaks and and things like that. I don't know. Uh, but I think that, and also working overtime uh, has a limit now in this new deal. And I think that's really a really important thing too for the people in these unions. And perhaps it's a psychological change as well that people used to maybe think that working overtime was just part of working and that mm. everyone had to do it and now we're indeed, putting more value on it indeed <clears throat> i have a sneaking suspicion oh all, all, all right so, um, the, the the first the big um if anything in iceland can be big the big uh, uh, unions um they made uh, um they reached um, an agreement uh and they sort of said that uh, this uh, This is the agreement. Everybody else, every other union will sort of have to be within the uh, uh, what we have agreed. So I think that um, now that uh, we get further um, uh, trade agreement, uh, uh, union agreements, I think it's a, a wage rise in disguise when they talk about... Uh, I have a sneaking suspicion that it is a wage rise in disguise when they talk about shortening the working week because I, I think in reality the working week will not be um, significantly shorter than it has been until now. So, But uh, they get more paid for the overtime than they, the, than they did. So in that sense, I think uh, they are sort of trying to circumvent Uh, the first agreement, which was supposed to lay the ground rules for uh, everybody else, uh, maybe I'm too cynical, yeah, uh, or I uh, uh, too too innocent and op- optimist. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm too cynical, but I, I had a sneaking suspicion that uh, that was part of it. Uh, I, I don't doubt that the uh, union leaders uh, and most people genuinely want to shorten the working week. Because as a as a rule, Icelanders work or spend too much time uh, at, at work. work. Mm. Uh, how effective the uh, the work that they do is is uh, is open to question. Because uh, there are numerous research uh, projects that have shown that after you have spent a certain amount at work. What you're doing is is you're you're treating water. You're you're not doing anything productive. Perhaps that's right, but also I think uh, this shortening of the working hours is really important because we see increase in burnouts and and yeah. people are overloaded, I would say. So I think this is a really important thing that we should uh, focus on in the future. Mm. I mean, people 
you can still have burnout in a shorter time if you're still being worked sure. too hard. Sure. I think maybe that's valuing people's time and, and, and their respecting their private lives. Yes, that too is really important. And that's also in these, this new deal. You have to get paid if, if your employer calls you when you're off work. Mm-hmm. He will have to pay you for it. Mm. So That's good. Maybe, and in, yeah. in, in the changing economy, the changing world that we live in, of this 24-hour connectivity mm-hmm. that people kind of feel pressured to check their emails when they're in bed and, and uh-huh. all this sort of thing. So yes. it is good to put that on paper, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Anything else or should we move on to a different topic? Let's move on. Let's move on. Okay. Um, yeah, where to? Perhaps Lante Harbour. I th- I really like that story. I know it's it's not setting the world on fire or anything, but it's been <laughs> going on for ages. Mm-hmm. It's caused the de- significant delay in the transport of two whales that are coming over from China. Um, obviously, the people of Vestmanay have been justifiably upset. So why has it taken so long to get this harbour open? Yeah, well... Rhetorical question. (laughs) (laughs) Not to be answered, (laughs) I think. Not for me to to answer, at least. But I I read um, over the weekend uh, articles on how everyone was criticising this harbour when it was being made in 2010, I believe. And uh, now this criticism has come true. And what is that criticism? A a bad place uh, to just build there, right to the open Atlantic Ocean. No shelter. Fills with sand. Fills with sand all the time. People saw that coming. Uh, I think the lesson goes all the way back to the Bible. <laughs> Build your house not on sand. I, I can't remember the exact wording in English, but uh, um, and building a harbour on sand uh, obviously has some problems. The engineers they also point out that uh, there have been some changes in I, I don't know the ocean currents or any uh, well uh, not the ocean currents uh, uh, with the with the volcano eruption in Eyjafjallajökull in two thousand and ten. Uh, the amount of of sand, the amount of of all kinds of things that could be carried into the harbour increased enormously. So mm. they say that, uh, that that is part of the problem. Mm. Uh, I'm no engineer, um, so I have no idea. But I know this harbour is extremely important for the people in the Westman Islands and for the tourist industry. Mm-hmm. Because very few people will uh, sail for, for three or four hours from Thorlaugshöp, uh, as they have to do if Landeyjarhafn is closed to the uh, to to the Westman Islands, but a half an hour uh, journey, half an hour's uh, sea journey—that's nothing—and and, and uh, it opens up another fantastic place in Iceland to visit. Because uh, <clears throat> uh, in my own experience, I've seen a, 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 a number of years ago when I was head of news, I, I, I chose to have um, our Nordic meeting in the Westman Islands, and uh, just to um, just to be among people uh, amongst people that are that, that come to the Westman Islands for the first time. Uh, the history is so dramatic, particularly with the uh, eruption in 1973, uh, where uh, where all the islanders had to be evacuated. 
the visible uh, result of that uh, of that eruption. I mean, there was large parts of the town are under lava, and you can see it. And they have fantastic museums, and the landscape is also fantastic. So it's an experience which uh, which I, I, I think most uh, people that visit Iceland would want to uh, would want to uh, experience. I mean, the, the Westman Islands are definitely worth a visit, and if there's if it's only half an hour. It's a completely different scenario from uh, having to spend three or four hours each I, way. I absolutely agree with that. But, and the problem is there is, along the southern coast of Iceland, there is no good place for a, for a harbour. Um, That's the thing. You see the the map uh, yes. or the line of where they used to go from Vestmanea to Thorlaksup, and you're basically following the coastline for, uh, you know, many kilometres mm-hmm. unnecessarily or... Yeah. Hundreds of kilometers, and Hundreds. even uh, the next harbor in in Hup, they have the same problem there. It fills with sand all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think also that uh, I I absolutely agree that uh, that uh, it's worth it. But the old ferry, Herjolfur, it's just way too big for this harbor. And will the and new one be it, smaller? Uh, as I understand it, it will not uh, go as deep as no. Harbour does. No, 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 no. The, the, it doesn't need to have as deep a harbour as um, um, as the old one does. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't I remember at the moment the, the, the technical description uh, how deep uh, a ship, uh, what's called a rista in Icelandic. Um, draft. Draft, yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, that... Uh, that should uh, that should make it um, uh, much easier. The new ferry will be able to use a land air hub uh, in conditions where the old one uh, have, has to sail to Thorlaugsson. And that's another story about this very same piece of news: is that we should have had the new ferry months ago, and yes. it's still stuck in stuck in Poland. Um, that seems to be a very strange history. Uh, mm-hmm. Why that is? Uh, there is uh, some kind of uh, conflict or dispute uh, between the Icelandic authorities, the Icelandic road authorities, who actually run the uh, ferry, and and uh, <coughs> and, and the Polish uh, shipyard. Uh, I have no idea. Um, we have not, uh, as journalists, been able to get to the bottom of that story uh, it will come out sooner or later but um, I mean uh, it should be quite black and white shouldn't it either, it should. either this billion kroner needs to be paid or it doesn't and, mm-hmm. but there is an argument going on there is an argument going on and it's a lot on. of money yeah. it's a lot of money and why um, why is the building of the ferry uh, so much more expensive than originally um, stipulated in the contract uh, I have no idea, and that's uh, that's a history that uh, we journalists are constantly, constantly trying to find out. Mm. Uh, but when it arrives, it's going to be great. All electric power. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the future, isn't it? I-, I hope so. Yes. When we will we have uh, electric powered uh, airplanes? Soon, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's. Um, <laughs> Um, your average passenger plane, that, 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 it, it will take a while longer. Oh, yes, it will. Mm-hmm. Well, I, this massive new bill for the boat is, is partly because of that, isn't it? They decided to make it, it was going to be hybrid, I believe, and then they decided to make it fully electric. Okay. And so it had to be made a little bit longer than the original plan stated to fit all those batteries in. And I think that's where this extra bill has come from, which took the Rhodes administration by surprise. 
Um, obviously, we don't have that luxury with planes yet. Just no. Make them a bit longer and put more batteries in. <laughs> but, yeah, maybe it'll happen. In the meantime, um, do visit the Westman Islands. <laughs> um, I can hardly recommend a visit to the Westman Islands. I've never been. Mostly oh, you be- haven't? Mostly because it can be difficult to get there. It can be difficult to get there. And, and, and when you get there, uh, there's, um, there's a possibility that you, you will get stuck there. <laughs> <laughs> But you can always, yeah, you, you you can almost always leave um, if you're willing to take a three or four hour um, sea journey. Mm. Just actually quickly on that last point, um, do we think is the plan or the likelihood going to be that Thorlaugshöp will be the winter port always, or do they hope to keep Landeerhöp open in the winters? No, I, I think they hope they can keep uh, Landeerhöp open. Um, the whole year round. Uh, I'm not exactly sure whether that's feasible or not, uh, mm. but I think that's the hope. The, uh, the people in the Westman Islands certainly hope that. Yeah, sure. They're the ones most affected, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. I think we've got time for maybe one more topic. Mm. Where should we go? There's one thing that um, I would like to mention uh, that is uh, that um, the... Um, Minister of Foreign Affairs, Guðlu Thór Thórðarsson, he uh, presented to Parliament uh, just a few days ago, on April 30th, um, a report uh, of uh, Iceland's foreign policy. It's a sort of state of uh, state of Icelandic foreign policy. So he presented a report. Uh, and uh, the cornerstone of the report um, was that um, the cooperation between the Nordic countries, well, is one of the cornerstones of Icelandic foreign policy. Uh, so he's re-emphasizing that. And uh, I think that people, particularly from the um, non-Nordic uh, part of the world that, uh, that live in Iceland, don't realize... Um, often how important Nordic cooperation is, in particular for Iceland. It opens up for us. I mean, basically, um, if you're a citizen of Denmark, Norway or Sweden and you live in Iceland, you have basically the same rights as as people that are born in this country or naturalized citizens and vice versa. And that means that um, Icelanders, they can attend uh, top world-class universities for free. and, and 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 we have had the right to work and live in each other's uh, countries for uh, more than 60 years and, and this is long before the european union uh, even existed before uh, anybody in europe thought of uh, the uh, the uh, the uh, the inner market uh, and uh, so uh, in in some ways uh, the nordic countries are um, they they were the first, mm. uh, and uh, and I think uh, still, I mean, of course, every country and every country's relations with, with another country is basically based on interest, as uh, the interest of uh, uh, of the country, as uh, Winston Churchill famously uh, pointed out. Uh, nations don't have friends; they have interests, um, and. Uh, but even so, the Nordic countries find that they have very, ma- very many common interests. They have, uh, they have similar values, so many similar things. Um, so th- that's one of the mo- most important things to understand about Iceland is the importance of the uh, of the Nordic um, 
uh, connection. Mm. I think that when people around the world think of the Nordic region, they think of this strong economies, this good social welfare system, and it's got a very good image. But maybe the first thing they think of is not the Nordic Council. Uh, no, definitely not. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think, and I and I think that uh, people also have to realize that um, the uh, the Nordic cooperation is on very very many levels. It's the formal uh, cooperation between uh, the parliaments and and the governments, and then there is uh, the informal. Um, day-to-day sort of grassroots cooperation which exists. I have always pointed out that uh, that the um, Nordic public broadcasters, they cooperate very closely together uh, with cooperation, uh, with uh, with um, co-productions, which have uh, have, uh, had international success. Um, So, uh, yeah, there is... <clears throat> there is a common interest in, in, in cooperating in all kinds of levels. Uh, the, the trade unions, they work quite closely together. Uh, banks and financial institutions, uh, universities and academicas, uh, all kinds of interests, uh, uh, all kinds of spheres in the society that, uh, that, uh, that work together. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised uh, if, uh, if uh, uh, you would find a, a Nordic meeting of carpenters. Not at all. For example. Mm. For example. Where do you rank sort of Nordic cooperation in, 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 in terms of how close and comprehensive it is compared to, say, for example, the Benelux countries, uh, US and Canada, these sorts of very close relationships that we have elsewhere in the world? Is it more than that? Well, I think, of course, Boy has said <laughs> but <laughs> what there is to say about this, that it is. It is huge. And it's really important to us, the little brother in up in the north, I think. And uh, I might add to that uh, language committees, Nordic language committees, they work closely together. Uh, So uh, it is really important. It is looked up to, and not only this cooperation, just uh, Scandinavian lifestyle, like you said. The the, The the, common values. Yes. Mm. I mean, it's. Uh, I can go on uh, praising ourselves by <laughs> by by talking about respect for law, uh, high p- uh, participation of women in the in 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 the workplace, um, trade union uh, in, uh, influence on 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 how society has uh, has turned out uh, with the with the welfare system. And and uh, respect for human rights and the environment and the environment. So yeah. so it's uh, uh, in very many ways. Uh, yeah, I think we're lucky enough to live in um, the best societies that mankind has yet invented. Big words and hard to disagree with. Mm. Um, so maybe we'll leave it there. That's great. Um, another week, another the week in Iceland. The programme will return to roof.as forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook and the Roof app, as well as a, as a podcast, next Monday afternoon, the 13th of May. For now, it's thanks to my guests, Anna Sigrida Thrawinsdottir and Boye Augustsson, also to Lydia Gretesdottir for running the studio. We like to finish the show with the number one song on the Raustver chart, and this week that's Welcoming by Bubi Mortens. Bye for now. Þú megir ekki dreyma 
Hver segir þú Átt ekki hér heima Átt þína von Átt þína trú Byggður draum Þína lífsins brú
Hver segir þú Átt ekki hér heima?